So I'm picking up in, on Pastor Dave's sermon, Lord, I've sinned, but I have several excellent excuses. Uh, we've been missing some of the sermons because we've been out doing work, but I'm sure they've been really great. Looking forward to listening to them on tape. I've got to read the book a bit. And, and yes, it seems very often we come before him and say we have some excellent excuses for what we do, but there's something that he wants us to, to hear today, and so I pray that he's able to, to speak through me and, and bring a message to you. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm... I am a tool in your hands. Speak through me and and say what you need to say. And if nothing else, let them hear what you need them to hear. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay. Let's see if my technology is going to work against me. There we go. Okay. So this Sabbath is called the sin of overreaction. And Pastor Dave assigned it because it's the next series in the service. But I thought it was a perfect sermon for Youth Sabbath. Because the first thing I think of when I think of overreaction is, okay, not technically high school, but junior high. Junior high for me is the culmination of overreaction. And as kids start to get, you know, a little more aware of their feelings and the world around them and how they interact with them. And you guys up here, can you say you ever overreacted in junior high? <laughs> that was NJ in case anyone was missing that. We talked a little bit about this in Sabbath school, but I know it's hard to believe based on the calm, cool, and collected woman you see in front of you right now, but I used to be a little bit of a drama queen growing up, a little bit. Jeff's laughing up here. (laughs) I have to admit, I I was thinking back on on some of the the more dramatic things I may have said in in my diary and journals during junior high, and um, let's see, what have I got here? I feel like I will cry until all my tears run dry. I will never love again. I think I was 12 when I wrote that. And a couple notes headed back and forth. I have a collection of all these notes I wrote with my best friend. I have a few that say, I'm never going to speak to you ever again. And, you know, we were talking a few days later, but we, we exchanged that quite a few times. And I hate her with the passion of a million sons. We're still friends, by the way, but, you know, it always seems like the end of the world, and in some drama involving a boy or roller skating or Pathfinders. A lot of drama happens at Pathfinders. Is that true here, too? Yeah, still true. (laughs) Yes, camperies were always the worst. Something always happened at camperies. Couples got together. Couples broke up. Drama. Um, But, yes, that was me. I, uh, I discovered... As I started maybe getting 9, 10, especially 11, that I was a very emotional girl. And I, like, I lived at 110%. I mean, when I was happy, I was, like, ecstatic. I was bouncing off walls. I was crazy. And when I was sad, I was crying, and the world was going to end, and I'll never be the same. And goodness, it was a, it was a very exciting way to live, I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> It made the world very, very colorful, but it also made the world a little bit of an a emotional roller coaster that started right as I got to sixth grade and, and kept on going through high school and, and into college. And, and it was just, I think it was in college when I realized it wasn't particularly normal <laughs> or healthy, uh, always living at your emotional max of experience, because uh, I didn't just react to things. I, I overreacted to things, you know. Slight gestures of kindness meant someone was in love with me, and, 
you know. And then, like, little slights meant that, you know, they hated me, and obviously they didn't want to be friends anymore. Uh, but I later learned, yeah, that, that it wasn't exactly a normal way to live and, and that maybe I uh, needed to deal with some issues because <laughs> uh, I, I actually had, like, an intervention, an emotional intervention from my friends my sophomore year in college. And they're like, you know, Amanda, we're a little, we're worried about you. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And they're like, because we never know what you're going to do next. You know, like, you're crying one minute, and then you're laughing a few minutes later, and, and it's, it's kind of hard keeping up with you. And, and I was forced to really stop and, and take a look at how my overreactions were actually affecting the people around me. And uh, it was quite a, a, a wake-up call. You know, having to look myself in the mirror and realize that, you know, just me living my life, I never really thought that it was affecting other people. Now, I understand that this is an extreme case, and most of you guys don't live like that. You know, most of us, you know, we live nice, calm. Let's me now, calm, cool, and collected. It's fine. I don't overreact at all anymore, right, guys? Never. But, you know, we're we're adults now. We have matured past our childish ways, and we don't overreact anymore, right? (laughs) Hey, no. Actually, what we we move on to now is as we get older, we may not react in the ways that we may consider childish, but there are different kinds of overreaction. You know, like the slow build. We're like, we start getting annoyed with something, but we don't say anything, we're fine. And then... It keeps happening, and you get more frustrated and more frustrated until one day it's like you've just had enough. You know, the, the proverbial hair that breaks the camel's back. And you react in a way that maybe was not entirely appropriate to the thing that just happened in front of you, but was actually the result of, you know, six months or eight months or a year of, of some interactions with a certain person. And, and so it makes sense to us that we're reacting this way, but maybe not to the people around us. And, and honestly, these are not, like, conscious things that we do. I mean, reacting is a very normal thing. And as I was putting this together, I'm like, we can go down a whole little, like, psychological trail, but this is, you know, a sermon, so I'm going to go down the religious one instead of psychiatry. Um, yeah. When you think about the way that our behaviors and reactions affect the people around us at Usually the most inconvenient times, the times when we're the least likely to consider our reactions or our overreactions. Um, And so the scripture that Pastor Dave picked for me today is actually a parable that I've heard many times and I've heard preached on many times, but I've never heard it preached in the context of overreaction. Like, do you really see overreaction in that parable? It seems like a very calm, and you picture Jesus telling it very calmly, and it seems kind of like a rational one, okay? So there's, you know, the master of a field, right? And he sows his crop one night, and, you know, the the servant or the slave is helping him out, and when they start growing up, the slave realizes that there's weeds among the plants, right? And so what does the servant want to do? He wants to pull up the weeds, right? That seems like the most logical thing to me. Now, I don't have much of a green thumb, (laughs) and my husband's laughing again. Uh, We purchased our first house a couple years ago, and for those of you guys who came to our housewarming party, I'm looking up here, you guys, I know you were there, Uh, we had brand new plants. My father-in-law came down and helped us, what's it called? Not decorate, like landscaping, that's what it's called, it's called landscaping, Our, our little 12 by 14 patio, like 
it's not huge, but you know, we got some plants um, that I had no clue what to do with because my mother, I love my mother, who's wonderful at many things, but plants was not one of them. <laughs> in fact, growing up, most of the plants we had in our house were of the plastic or silk variety because living plants had a way of dying in our house. Um, in fact, she was given the gift of many ficus trees, and I hear it's pretty difficult to kill ficus trees, but she managed it <laughs> more than once. <laughs> and so, yeah, my dad stopped buying her little ivy plants or whatever. And I think for a while, like, we actually had someone who came into our house just to water the plants so that my mother wouldn't kill them. Um, so I didn't learn much. There, we, there was not gardening for me and my upbringing. So I inherited these wonderful plants, and I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> but the one thing I thought was pretty obvious is there's weeds and you pick them, right? That makes sense. You're not supposed to have weeds in your garden. In fact, Jesus tells another parable about weeds choking the seeds, right? The parable of the rocks and the, the good soil and, and the weeds. Weeds are bad. Weeds kill plants. You pull them out. And, and we have some crazy weeds at our place. When we moved in, there was no landscaping. There was just a weed garden of weeds like three feet high, <laughs> killer weeds. And so if I stop paying attention to them, they sneak up and they're everywhere and they'll get big again if I don't weed it regularly. And so I feel like the servant's response, completely rational. There's weeds. We need to pull them up. Uh, The problem is that the servant or the slave didn't know as much about farming as the master. So it seemed as perfectly rational to the servant wasn't. And so he goes to the master and he tells him, you know, we should pull up these weeds. And the master says, no, because if you pull up the weeds, you'll hurt the wheat as well. And so they don't pull up the weeds. Servant listens and life goes on. But that's how it is with with overreaction. We don't stop to think about the damage We just see something that seems perfectly right to us, something that needs to be done from our understanding, uh, completely justified behaviors that completely make sense, and yet there's something that we're not aware of, damage that may be done that we're not considering. Um, The thing is, the servant handled it in, in the perfect way because he took it straight to the master. You know, he didn't just go pull out the weeds by himself and say, oh, the master will thank me later. He saw a problem and he went to the master. He went to God and said, you know, God, what should I do? Should I do this? And so when God answered, he heard and he obeyed. There wasn't overreaction. There was appropriate reaction and communication with God about what to do when, when something bad happens. And I was talking the sermon over with my parents, which I normally do when, you know, I'm formulating sermon ideas. And my mom is like, no, that's exactly a story about overreaction. And I'm like, you know, it is? She's like, yes, because they're talking about people, right? Like whenever you've heard the sermon preached, it's about people, about good people growing up side by side with bad people. You know, and they grow together. The sun shines on both the the holy and the unholy, and the saint and the sinner. They grow in the same field together. And my mom was saying, you know, people don't have the right to pull up 
pull out the bad people from the church. And she kind of had a good point. You know, this is, this is an amazing church, and this is a warm and accepting church, and I love this church. And I haven't had a whole lot of history, so I don't know what the history of this church is. I feel like this isn't a church that, that judges. This is a church that loves. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, but sometimes we may not realize, even if we're not judging loudly, the judgments we may say about people we feel may have made mistakes. And... You know, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, says, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. The job for the judging belongs solely to the master. And when we react in a way that we feel is appropriate to the crime, you know, there are weeds here. We need to take out the weeds so they don't, you know, choke the wheat. It's not our job to do that. Only God gets to do that. And when we pull out what we consider weeds, when, in truth, you know, I hear that when they're starting to grow, they look about the same, so how do we even know? We might damage the people around who see that and who don't understand, know that we're doing what we feel is right and we're doing what we feel is best, and we lose perfectly good wheat. We lose people who, who loved God but don't understand his servants. And how often does that happen? Maybe not here, but in God's church in general. People so convinced they're doing the right thing, and yet they're hurting the thing they're trying to protect, all because they didn't take their concerns to the master. You know, one of the biggest reasons, I've been reading a lot of books on, on this wonderful generation up here, and why these key kids leave the church. Because it's kind of sad statistics. <laughs> One in four. Yes, Edward's counting them right now. <laughs> so if I'm lucky, two of you guys will stay in church when you graduate from high school. <laughs> Edward's already voting who he thinks it'll be. And the rest just leave. And maybe they'll be back after they get married, after they have kids. You know, when they're settling down, they'll come back. But they'll have been gone for some of the most important life-changing years of their life. You know, the years where they decide what job they're going to do and who they're going to marry. And, and all of these things that affect the rest of their lives, they'll be gone for that. And some of the biggest reasons why they leave is that they don't, they don't understand how people claim to be Christians and aren't. <laughs> you know? Like the hypocrites and the judgmental people and the people who treat them badly or the people who ignore them. Like there's not a place for them in church and they don't feel like they belong here. And I don't feel this is that kind of church. And so I'm hoping you guys are going to beat the odds, right? All six of you guys are going to stick around. And you guys are doing a great thing by including them to let them know that they are wanted here. But that, yeah, these kids, uh, they'll make mistakes. They probably already have. <laughs> Big and small. Yeah, I'm not looking at any of you guys in particular. But despite the mistakes that they may make during these very, you know, their developmental years, a lot of overreactions before you guys realize they're overreactions and then overcompensations and trying to figure out how things work best, that we're not here 
to judge you. We're not here to make you guys feel bad about the mistakes you made. We're here to love you because you're a part of this church and that you are accepted and loved without qualifications. Granted, if you make mistakes, there are consequences you'll have to pay, but that's your business and that's your life, and it's important to learn the lessons as quickly as you can so so you get hurt less as you grow up. And I'm telling you, here in this church, these are life lessons that you can learn from some of these people to spare yourself having to learn the same lessons we did. Because we've already made the mistakes, right? Who, who's here made a big mistake in their life? Okay, only half of them are raising their hands. So look at the ones with hands up. Those are the ones you need to talk to, okay? Learn the mistakes that they've made and, and the lessons that they've learned from growing up. And that's what they're here for, this church, that you know that one of the biggest things that help kids stay in church are intergenerational churches. I heard that. It's number one. Churches that worship together, where they can be connected to parents and grandparents and people of all ages who care about them. About them. You guys know I care about you, right? Edward. You're one of my favorites. At least in the top eight. (laughs) I do say that to all of them. Uh, But do they know that you care about them? Have you learned their names? Do you say hi? Do you tell them you're praying about them? Do they know that this is a church that they belong in? And for the adults here, I, I do, I challenge you. You can't adopt all of them. There's a lot. But if you would take one that you made it a point to get to know, one that... You say hi to when you see them at church, one that you take the chance to pray for and get to know it. It makes a difference. It makes a difference to these kids, whether they realize it now or not. Yes, they're like, no, don't do that. Yes, do that. Please do that. The dangers of overreaction. Right now it's a, we don't know. We don't know which way these kids will go. But we do our best to, to love them and care for them so that hopefully they'll stay, that they'll live a life full of Christ and loved by Christ and known by Christ, and that it'll shape their lives and the choices that they make. And they'll know what a good thing that is and what a difference it'll make in their lives, the type of abundant lives that we'd like them to live. So, it occurred to me uh, this week that there's another kind of, of overreaction. You know, there's the overreaction that we think of, like, when you get really upset at someone and you react because you're all angry, um, that kind of overreaction. But I was thinking about the kind of, I don't know if this makes sense. It might have made more sense if I had made a PowerPoint slide. Overreaction. Like, not a big reaction, but a repeated reaction. And I think this is almost a more dangerous thing for us, that we get into the grooves of our lives where we just react, where we're not engaging anymore with the people around us, that we get into ruts and we wake up and we get ready and maybe we have devotional and then we go to work and then we come home and then we make food 
We watch television and we go to sleep and the next day we do it again. We live life by just reacting to the thing that's in front of us. And uh, I've been in emergency mode for a couple of weeks. I'm preparing for my next grad class coming up and I've had papers to write and books to read and, and sermons to outline and a big presentation that, that I have to do for my creation class. And when I get in emergency mode, that basically means I tell myself all I get to do is react. <laughs> I have my to-do list, and I do the next thing on the to-do list, and then keep on going, not thinking about everything that needs to be done, but just, you know, on getting through the next day. And the truth is it doesn't leave a lot of room for God. I mean, even if you have your devotional time scheduled, it's just another thing that you need to get through before you do the next thing. Instead of truly encountering him. The skit that we did, uh, I think Ruby sent it to me. And uh, I'd heard it once before when I was a kid, and, and I love it because what would happen if God interrupted our devotional time? What would happen if God actually interrupted us while we were doing the Lord's Prayer, which is something, you know, we do all the time? Or, you know, a lot of people just know by memory, it's just a habit to say. Uh, I guess in some other faiths, it's a lot more, it's used a lot more often than ours, but most of us know the Lord's Prayer. What would happen if God responded? And do we leave time in our schedule to allow that to happen? To allow us to interact, or is it going to be, you know, Lord, I need to finish this really quickly because I'm running behind schedule, so I don't have time for you to talk to me because I just need to do this so I can get going. And we just react to our lives. We don't have time to stop and help. We don't have time to listen. When people say, how are you doing? You say, fine. How are you doing? Fine. Great. Have a nice day. And as I just admitted, I'm guilty of this too. This is one of the things that uh, when I'm completely in tune with God, when I, when I focus with him, then you know, I'm aware to where, who he wants me to call and who he wants me to message and text and talk to and, and reach out to someone I haven't talked to in a while. But when I get on the cycle of just needing to react, I, I don't because I'm just trying to survive. And, and that's a very human thing to do. But the sin of overreaction is not just making a, a huge, big, you know, mess of something, but it, also in just living our lives in automatic pilot without going to the master about our lives. You know, I mentioned one of my favorite verses in the, in the prayer where God asked us to take all things before him, our prayers and praises, to know and to thank him for what he's already going to do for us. And it seems like just a trivial thing. But it's important for you guys to get in the habit of that, of talking to him about the big and small things that we struggle with, the big and small things that are on our lives, so that we start our days with this understanding that God's in it with us and we're not by ourselves. Because when it's just us taking care of us, that's when we, we lose our way. Because it's not just us taking care of us. It's us taking care of each other while God takes care of us. So the sin of overreaction and the sin of overreaction. We have excellent excuses. (laughs) But that God has something better for us. That we, as we live our lives, need to remember to take everything before God. The choices that we make and the decisions we make and and our struggles so that he has a chance to help guide us in what we would do. So...
Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, oh goodness, it seems so often that we live lives as reactionary and, and dealing with the things that come our, li- our way instead of seeking you and seeking your face and seeking your will for our lives. Because honestly, sometimes it's really hard to find out. But I pray that you speak louder, <laughs> that you break through our, our hearts and our minds so that we can hear you, that we can feel you, and that we can start taking it all to you and trusting that you will help us with the big and the small so that we can be aware of the way our actions react to other people, that when we're representing your name, that we're doing it the best way we can with, with your guidance, and that when we're living our lives, that we're always an example of who you are. In your name I pray. Amen.